Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike Durr. Uh, me and my wife, Melissa, and our children have been attending here for a little over 20 years. So, um, uh, it is my privilege to read God's word to us this morning. Um, I'm going to be reading from John 18, verses 28 through 40. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one uh, underneath the uh, chair in front of you, and that is found on page 904. Okay. This is God's word. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, he would not have, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man to you, one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you that we can gather this morning to hear your word. Um, I do pray that you will open our hearts, uh, that we will be attentive. I pray that we will be ready to worship you through the deliverance of your word to us. I pray for Jason that you will give him your words. Thank you for his love of you and his love for your word. I thank you for uh, elders who love your word here. I thank you that we can sit under your word. I pray that we'll be ready to hear it. We do thank you that we are of a kingdom that is not of this world, uh, that we are of a kingdom that is unshakable. Um, so, Lord, I thank you for that. Again, help us to be attentive. Help us to, to, to be ready to hear your word this morning. And I pray that we'll be filled with your spirit. In your name I pray. Amen. It's just not worth it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever felt that way 
in your Christian walk? Maybe you've come to the point where you say, it's just not worth it as you share your faith with others. Maybe some specific others. Maybe that one friend or family member or coworker, uh, and you know their reply. You know what they're going to say to you before you even say it. You know they're going to you know, ignore you or mock your beliefs or act like you're the biggest moron who's ever lived. Or maybe your gospel witness makes them angry. How dare you tell them they need to change? That something is wrong with them. How dare you? That they need a savior? You know what? Maybe it's just easier to keep your mouth shut and live on the surface. Or maybe it's just not worth it applies to your own faith. The frustrations, the relationships that are strained, all my earthly situations see no improvement. Sure, it's, it's nice to be a Christian. I, I believe it. Uh, it's good to know other Christians, but man, it's, it's just so hard. The world around me thinks I'm brainwashed, part of a cult, stupid, living for pie in the sky. Maybe it's just not worth it. Have you ever felt that? Maybe now you feel that. Maybe you're here today and you don't believe in Christ. You're saying exactly, yeah, Christianity tells me I'm, I'm not good enough. I need to believe in some guy who lived 2,000 years ago or else I'm going to die and go to hell. No way I'm giving myself to that. It's not worth it. Maybe some of our young people. You're here and you've been challenged by your parents, by your youth leaders, by your pastors to take up your cross and follow Jesus, to trust in Him for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, to know that in Him is real freedom and real hope. And you hear that, but you also hear the world calling out to you and saying, what's out here is so much better. What's out here is better. You don't have to wait for satisfaction. You can have it right now. Don't worry about the consequences. You have lots of time to think about the consequences. Be happy now. Get yours now. Come feel happy for a few minutes. And we wonder, is Jesus really worth it? The battles and struggles are real. In the passage that Mike just read from John chapter 18, uh, we see a vivid, I believe a living portrayal of the challenges that face Christ and his followers. Jesus has been handed over to the Jewish leaders. And after a swift trial, as Frank pointed out last week, that was not a trial at all, Jesus is found guilty under the cover of darkness. He is quickly ushered at the break of day to the praetorium, the home of Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the region. And the Jewish leaders 
hand him over to Pilate with the instruction that they want Jesus killed for his crimes. Pilate is confused, he's inquisitive, he's dismissive, but he's ultimately willing to bow to the wills of the Jewish people, even if it means releasing a notorious criminal and killing an innocent man. As I studied this passage this week, my mind kept coming back to those of us who wonder if what we are doing, if what we are believing is worth it. Or if what we have to lose by following Christ is worth it. Or if our gospel proclamation is worth it. Or if our prayers are worth it. Or if forsaking the pleasures of this world is worth it. And I kept coming back to it. As I looked at this passage, this is a real thing that happened in real time. And I kept, my mind kept being dragged back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 18 through 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, if you're using the ones that are here, it's page 952. Starting in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Stumbling block to the Jews. Foolishness. To the Greeks or the Gentiles, the world. But to those who are called the power of God and the wisdom of God. The truth of the gospel is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In today's passage, I believe we see the living embodiment of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So as we consider John 18, 28 to 40 with the rest of our time, I want us to see 
Jesus, the stumbling block. Jesus, the foolish. And Jesus, the power and wisdom of God. Jesus is the king of truth. And he is the king in truth. If you're wondering this morning if it's all worth it. Not to give away the end of the story. I want you to stay till I'm finished if you don't mind. But if you're wondering if it's all worth it. Everything that we have and everything that we hope for in Christ, everything that we forsake for Christ, everything that we do for His name's sake, every word and every action, it is worth it. Because He is the King of truth who came to fight for His people. Jesus is a stumbling block. The Jewish leaders were offended. They were threatened by Jesus, right? We see that playing out clearly throughout the Gospels. They want him to be gone. Judas had delivered Jesus over to them under the cover of darkness. And they had carried out a very quick trial that, again, as Frank noted last week, was in no way close to legal. No witnesses coming on Jesus' behalf. They didn't care about the truth. They wanted a swift conviction. And they got it. You got to do what you got to do to get the stumbling block out of the way. Get rid of the thing that's hindering or the one that's hindering you, that's hurting your thing, that's threatening your kingdom. If it serves the greater good, it's okay to cut a few corners, isn't it? So it's not a totally legal trial. That's okay, right? Getting rid of Jesus was the greater good for this group. As you looked at this passage this week or this morning, did you note any of the hypocrisy of these people in this passage? Give me an example from this passage of the hypocrisy of of the Jewish leaders who are bringing Jesus to Pilate. Go ahead. Frank, go ahead. What, What do you see in there? Right. So, okay, we got, I think there's three examples of their hypocrisy in this passage, at least. One of them is this. Pilate says, what charge do you bring against this guy? And they say, listen, here's the charge. If he wasn't bad, we wouldn't give him to you. <laughs> All right. Like, does that work in trials? If I was a, a lawyer trying to prosecute somebody and I said, listen, we wouldn't be sitting here today if this person wasn't bad, Right. That's a bad way to, 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 to argue, right? But it shows the hypocrisy that they have no actual charge to give to Pilate. Any others? They, they can't set foot in the praetorium, right? They're, they're like, we, well, we can't do that. We would defile ourselves. We would defile ourselves, and then we couldn't eat the Passover. Now, there might be a, just a, a side note, a question of like, Didn't they just eat the Passover last night? Like, this probably refers to the entirety of the Passover feast. So they didn't want to make themselves ceremonially unclean during the Passover, right? Because they weren't already unclean by what they were doing, right? Handing over an innocent person. And by the way, 
this, uh, this rule of not setting foot in a Gentile's house because you become ceremonially unclean. Where is that in the Old Testament? Nowhere. Whose rule was it? Theirs. Do you know that their rule actually was they could walk in if there was an, an open roof, but you couldn't go in if there was a roof over top of you. So they couldn't go into Pilate's house because that would make them unclean while they're handing over an innocent man to die. Danny, was that the one you were going to say or you have another one? Yeah, yeah, they've been breaking the law all the way, breaking their own law, and now they're like, well, we can't pilot. We couldn't possibly kill them ourselves. That wouldn't be lawful. You're not, you haven't followed the law yet. Now you're worried about the law. Multiple examples. Jesus said that the scribes and the Pharisees would strain out a gnat. They would follow strict moral observance and swallow a camel. Neglect the heart of God's law. They don't want to set the foot in the home of a Gentile and make themselves ceremonially unclean. They don't go, to Pilate's, go into Pilate's house. They don't tell us what the charge is against Jesus. They don't just kill them themselves because they don't want to break the law. But here's what they will do. They will work to take the life of an innocent man. They will work to take the life of the innocent son of God. They will do that. Verse 31 makes it very clear that they didn't simply want Jesus scolded or silenced they wanted him dead. It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. We want him dead, Pilate. Not rebuked, not just beaten, dead. For what charge? He's bad. We need to watch ourselves, friends. A moral exterior with a dead interior is worth nothing. When the walls close in, whether in this life or the life to come, the, you know, the worst thing in the world for any human being would be to be a hypocrite your entire life and never get exposed and have to stand before God and answer for it. When the walls close in and when we are exposed, what is inside of us will be, will come out. These Jewish leaders are so hardened in their hypocrisy that they fail to see it or acknowledge it. All they know is that they need to stay ceremonially clean somehow and that Jesus must die. Though there's no reason for him to die under the law. Now they will, of course, get him on his claim to be God. But what's the reality of that? 
He is. He wasn't lying. What hypocrisy that a man falsely convicted is now handed over with zero charges listed. Why would we be here at six in the morning if he wasn't guilty? What hypocrisy that they would go so far as to demand the release of a robber, an insurrectionist, as it says in other gospels, a murderer, Barabbas while also demanding the death of the Messiah. These, these leaders are truly like the wicked shepherds described in Ezekiel chapter 34. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. They are agreeing to the release of a wicked man, a threat to their own people, and consenting to the death of the good shepherd. Why? Because Jesus was a stumbling block to them. Jesus messed up their thing. They had something good going. They were getting all the honor. They were treated favorably. They were the head honchos, and Jesus dared to challenge that. Dared to say that they weren't honoring the Lord. Who does he think he is? Jesus remains a stumbling block to many. To those who are passionate about building their own kingdoms. Those who see Jesus as a threat. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There may not be a verse that's more encouraging to the believer in Christ. It may sound amazing to some, but not to those who love to delight in their own works and build their own kingdoms, love to flaunt their own righteousness, love to show off their own works, love to look, look good, even if the truth is that they are full of darkness and death. And when Jesus comes knocking and threatening, he's got to go. He's got to go. Friends here who are not believers in Christ today, he is calling. He is calling us to give up that pursuit of the kingdom of self. A pursuit that is never, ever satisfied. You are not equipped to be God. And when we try to make ourselves the center of everything, we can't handle it. And we're never satisfied. And we're always going to look for more and we'll never find fulfillment. There is one king and it ain't you. And when Jesus comes and threatens our kingdoms, we can either say, die. I want you dead. Stop pestering me. Stop bugging me. I want to build my thing. I warn you, that's dangerous ground. 
He will not tolerate long contenders for his throne. But he graciously offers all to come to him. Brothers and sisters, we must examine the areas of our lives where we have said that Jesus is not allowed to rule and reign. His words are a pesky stumbling block to us because we want to do what we want to do. I, you can have most of my life, Jesus. You cannot have this part. I don't trust you with this part. That's unacceptable. Where do we stumble over the call of Christ to take up our cross and follow him? That whoever loves anything more than him is not worthy of his kingdom. Where are we tempted to give up in our evangelism or prayer because those we share with do not want their kingdoms threatened. It can be very uncomfortable having conversations with people whose kingdoms are being threatened by the gospel, right? They're shutting you down in every way, sometimes in nasty ways. And we can just say, all right, I give up. I give up. The Lord says, persist. Persist in prayer. Persist in sharing. Persist. There's a lot more I could say, but i got to move on. Jesus is a stumbling block. He is also foolishness to some. In this passage, we have Pontius Pilate, the governor of this area, who stands as the living embodiment of the gospel being folly to the Gentiles. Pilate stands as an example of the arrogant dismissiveness of those who are too smart to believe the gospel. The gospel is for the weak-minded, right? People who need a crutch to get through their lives. You ever hear that? People who aren't strong enough on their own. I mean, it's true. It's more than a crutch, actually. It's like basically the, the entire thing that moves my whole body. I can't do anything apart from Jesus. But... There are those who would say, that's, that's folly, that's ridiculous. Is it possible that Pilate hasn't heard of Jesus before this very moment? It's unlikely. It's possible, but it's very unlikely. Uh, yet he comes across as arrogant and dismissive. And, I, and here's why I say that. I'm, I'm going to point to a few examples. But first of all, he's a Roman governor, right? Who does he serve ultimately? Caesar. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, just so you know, there's another king rising up, gaining a following. What does Caesar want to do with a contender to his throne? Yeah, get rid of them. Crush them. Now, Pilate is used to people saying, oh, yeah, so-and-so is claiming they're the Messiah. So-and-so is claiming they're the Messiah. So clearly, he lumps Jesus into the category of crazy people. I'm dealing with a crazy person. I'm dealing with somebody who is not a threat to the kingdom in any single way. His reaction is quite different from that of Herod, right? When Jesus is born and the wise men come and they say, hey, we've come to worship the king of the Jews. And Herod says, king of the Jews, huh? I'd like to worship the king of the Jews. Where's he at? And what does Herod do? Ultimately. 
kills every baby under two in Bethlehem, every boy. Pilate feels no such compulsion in this passage, right? He's trying to release Jesus. Did you note in this passage how many questions Pilate asks? Seven different questions in these 13 verses. So there's a little bit of like a nobility in his search to find out the truth or at least what's going on. Why are these people during the Passover feast knocking on my door at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. to hand this guy over to me? But Pilate has zero concern that Jesus is a threat. And based on the decision he ultimately makes, he has very little concern about doing what is right or what is good. Pilate believed that he was in complete control, and in an earthly sense, he seemed to be. This pathetic-looking man standing before him, he certainly was no threat. You see it, you can hear it. Am I a Jew? Right? Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is this your idea? Or did somebody tell you that? And Pilate's response like, am I a Jew? Like, I couldn't be bothered with this. The disdain and the scorn. Why should I be bothered with the customs and fake laws of some puny group of people that I rule over? It was your own people who handed you over. I don't care if you call yourself some sort of king. Look at you. Your own people hate you. And now you're totally at my mercy. What have you done? Pilate asks. Jesus answered, we're going to get back to this in a few minutes, my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate then responds, so you are a king. Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate then says in his most disdainful way, what is truth? And we know that there is no action. He doesn't turn to Jesus and say, truth. Wow, what is truth? How do we know that from this passage? What happens right after he says the words, what is truth? Jesus didn't answer, and Pilate walked away. So it was almost like a, what is truth? And then he walks back out to the crowd. Pilate, uh, his reaction at this point, we will see a slight change in Pilate's reaction later on, but his reaction is starkly different than the one I just mentioned from Herod in Matthew chapter 2 when he hears that the king of the Jews has been born. Herod is frightened. Pilate, at this point, is indifferent. Yet both move to the same end. Kill Jesus. First, though, we see Pilate trying to release Jesus, which is another example of why he, we know he doesn't think Jesus is anything, right? He wouldn't be releasing Jesus if he thought he was a real threat. He seeks to release him. In the midst of his dismissiveness and arrogance, it's startling to see Pilate is more respectful to the people of God than the religious leaders. When they come knocking on his door 
at 6 a.m. What does he do? What's he do? He goes outside. He could have said, hey, if you want to talk to me, come in. He was the superior here. He comes outside to meet them. Pilate respects their Passover rites of cleansing by going outside rather than making them come in. He actually seeks, he asks more questions of Jesus than we have any account of from the religious leaders. He allows for the release of a prisoner at Passover as a, as a blessing to the Jewish people as they celebrate. He actually says Jesus is innocent. But ultimately, Pilate shows himself to be both arrogant and cowardly. He does, as Frank laid out last week, he does what is expedient versus what is correct, what is right. He is unwilling to hear the truth when staring the king of truth in the face. Pilate thinks he knows better. He is unwilling to do what he knows is right because he doesn't want to give offense to the crowd. He is respectful to the religious, but ultimately he looks down on those who believe. Are you a person like that? Do you know people like that? People who say, in not quite these words, or maybe these exact words, that's nice for you, but I'd never believe something so dumb. Know anybody like that? Somewhat respectful, but ultimately saying, I have no idea why you choose to live your life and devote yourself to such foolishness. Maybe you've encountered that line of thinking. Maybe it has crushed you in sharing the gospel or made your own faith wobble. Why would you do this? Who believes in such folly? What is truth anyway? Why do you think that you have the market cornered on truth? And this is the truth? The bottom line is that we have all been in the place of the chief priests and or Pilate. We have wanted Jesus dead. We've wanted not to be bothered by him. Maybe right now, you don't want him. He's bothering you. He is, he is touching on a part of your life that's saying, hey, I haven't gone away. I'm still calling you to this. And you're saying, no, just, just die, would you? We have wanted him to stop interfering with our lives. We have wanted him out of the way of our kingdom building. We have considered it foolish to follow him, stupid even. We have been ashamed to say that we know him. So I ask you, with our last point this morning, where do we find Jesus in this passage? He's, he's a stumbling block. He's folly. But we find Jesus in this passage as the living embodiment of the gospel. To some, he is a stumbling block. To some, he is foolish, but neither of them are right. Jesus is the king. While Pilate does not seem particularly interested in Jesus' kingship, like you see in verse 34, right? 
Jesus is asking, do you you say this? Are you interested? Do you want to know? Pilate does not want to know. The truth of this passage is that Jesus rules and reigns. Do you see that in here? Who's the king in this passage? Who? You say that's the right word. It's the church answer. Go ahead. Well done. It's Jesus. Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is the king, but his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not established in the way earthly kingdoms are established. Jesus' servants were not going to fight. He had one servant who tried to fight him. What did he do to him? He rebuked him. He said, put your sword away. Why? Shouldn't they fight? Shouldn't we rise up? No, because Jesus' kingdom does not advance in the way earthly kingdoms do. Caesars and dictators and kings and queens advance their kingdoms through physical violence and power. We are watching this play out in the world stage right now, right? Display of who's more powerful. Who can grab more stuff? Who's in control? Who's in charge? And I do want to remind you, Jeff read it at the beginning of the service, when you're fearful, because you can watch the news and just like say, all right, I can't take any more of this. I'm afraid of what tomorrow is going to bring. Psalm 2 is still true. Did you know that? He's the king over all the kings. And that's not going to stop. Rulers in this world advance their cause through force and power. Earthly kingdoms maintain power and grow stronger through physical force. Not so with the kingdom of Jesus. Though some have tried this in the name of Jesus throughout history. How does the kingdom of Jesus advance? The kingdom of Jesus advances through the truth. He says, right? My kingdom is, uh, let's see, uh, verse 37. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through faith in Him, faith in the truth. In the face of being seen as a stumbling block that must be removed or as foolishness that must be ignored, Jesus is undeterred. He doesn't fight the way the world fights. He is undeterred because what someone thinks about the truth does not change its truthfulness. Do you know that? There's not my truth and your truth and their truth and everyone's truth. There is truth. One truth. And before Pilate stands the king of truth. The truth is that Jesus is the king even in this moment. Pilate thinks he rules. The chief priests, 
think they've done their job. They think they've taken care of business. And even in this moment, Jesus is king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who made all things and upholds all things by the word of his power. He is more powerful than the Jewish leaders or Pilate can ever imagine. He is the eternal one in whom all things hold together. Pilate, in this moment, is being held together by the word of Jesus' power. The kingdom of Jesus is prevailing, even and especially here. Jesus mentions here that his servants are not fighting, which is odd. That's what servants are supposed to do, isn't it? The subjects of the kingdom should be fighting for their king. Not here. Here, the king fights for his subjects. Here, the king lays himself down that they may be saved. His kingdom will advance, but counterintuitively, it will happen by the king submitting himself to death. Not arguing his way out, not exercising his power to get out of it, not urging his subjects to go to war, but laying his life down. Barabbas is the first recipient, in an earthly sense, of the saving mercy of this sacrificial king, right? Barabbas is a picture of what happened to all of us. Barabbas deserved death, or at least continued imprisonment, and Jesus' life is given for his. Do you ever wonder what happened to Barabbas? If you think you know, you've probably watched a couple movies about Jesus. We don't know what happened to Barabbas. Why? Because this story is about Jesus, not Barabbas. The Bible is about Jesus and his work. King Jesus came to make war, not with Pilate, not with the chief priests, but with mankind's wickedest enemies, and he would prevail. Not Pilate, not the chief priests, but sin, Satan, death, and hell. He would conquer them by dying. He would conquer them by rising from the dead. He's going to lay his life down in a few hours, and in a few days, he's going to be alive again. Truly. If you're here as a visitor this morning, if you're here not sure what you believe about Christ this morning, I want it to be very clear that we believe we worship and serve a Savior who truly rose from the dead. If not, we won't, we won't gather anymore. We ought not. It's worthless. Jesus conquered sin, Satan, death, and hell. And all who believe this truth are forgiven and cleansed. That all who believe that Jesus' death was for their sins, to pay the penalty for our treating him like a stumbling block, our calling the gospel foolishness, our rejection of God as king, all who believe that Jesus died for our sins and was raised in victory will 
be forgiven and cleansed and given the hope of eternal life. Cleansed from our pursuit of being God. Cleansed from our thoughts that the truth is actually stupidity and foolishness. The truth is that God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The truth is that King Jesus is the king of a kingdom that has no end. The kingdom of heaven. The truth is that all who are of the truth will hear his voice and live. John 10, 2 Corinthians 4. If I had time, I'd read them. The king and his truth are the only hope of the world. If you have not believed in Jesus today, consider his call. He is the king over all who willingly laid his life down to pay the penalty for our attempts to be God, our mockery of his name, our sin. He died for us and he was truly and physically raised in victory over sin in the grave. His as an eternal kingdom, forgiveness, hope, and even, shockingly for those who believe, reigning with him for all of eternity are ours in Christ. All who trust in this truth, the truth. It's not a question this morning, friends, of how this truth makes you feel. But is it true? Is it true? What do you think? Is Jesus who he says he is? Are the Jewish leaders right that he must be removed? Is Pilate right that he's not really a threat? That he's, he's insignificant? Or is Jesus right that he is king and we are called to submit to his good rule? Brothers and sisters, we need not be ashamed. Let the world think we are fools. Let them keep building competing kingdoms if they must, though it would make us sad. But wait, may we never grow ashamed of our true hope. May we never grow ashamed of speaking the truth of the gospel, the only hope of the world. May we never grow ashamed of showing what life is like under the rule of our gracious king. He is a king who fought and died for his people. This is the truth we proclaim. Jesus is the king who give us, gives us rest from the sins and folly that kill us. What is truth? Jesus is truth. To him be glory forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. To some it is a stumbling block. To some it is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And there is no hope for this world apart from the gospel of Jesus. Strengthen us, Lord, in this truth. Remind us that it is our only hope. And we have not believed pie in the sky, but we are banking our hope on a crucified and risen Savior. The King of kings. Lord of lords, 
That is a rock-solid place to have our hope. May it be that as we proclaim the gospel in word, as we adorn the gospel in deed, that many will be drawn, not to us, but to you. Father, that you would continue your work of saving and growing your kingdom. And always, always and in all things, to your name and your name alone, be all glory and honor and praise. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.